At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is Naked M.I.P. With Masamela Matfumal. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Folks, you all have heard me speak of many of our ongoing struggles um, in the context of how our opponents and enemies behave. Um, many of us, um, I know many of us who voted in 2020 and 2021 expected change to happen instantly. It doesn't always happen that way, but you definitely heard me speak ad nauseum about our opponents who never give up and they truly have not. We are approaching 50 years since the road decision and those who oppose have not given up. They keep fighting and now uh, they have put some chinks in our armor because they never did give up. We right. can't give up either. Um, and I have been saying that really to sober us to our reality. If they can fight for 50 years, we can fight for even more. And historically, we've had to do that. Um, it took us 100 years after the reversal of Reconstruction to get the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Many of our ancestors never saw freedom from enslavement yet they never stopped fighting, knowing that at one point, at some point, one generation, the next generation would be free. And so here we are. And now there's really a uh, conversion of all of these issues, uh, voting rights, women's reproductive rights, Supreme Court pick. So the timing is perfect and very appropriate that we would speak with the brand new president of the National Abortion Rights Action League, NARAL, Minnie Timaraju joins us on Make It Plain. Minnie, welcome. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. It's a beautiful, snowy morning in Philadelphia where I yeah. am. Same, same here in New York. It's, it's snowing. And um, first of all, congratulations Thank um, you. on the presidency. Uh, you did not um, uh, pick a very uh, easy time <laughs> to take up this cross, did you? We were in the middle of it, huh? There's never been an easy time in this movement, but uh, if you're if you're looking at it the right way, but yes, it's a it's a it's we're getting a lot of attention right now. Yeah, well, well, let's start here with some what's been happening recently. I was uh, before we uh, started, folks. I was uh, thanking Men and Nayral for the position they took with regards to Kirsten Cinema uh, <clears throat> and and voting rights, um, because I mean that's voting rights. All of it goes together because that even affects the type of legislators and policymakers we have when it comes to women's reproductive rights, doesn't it? Absolutely. There's a direct line uh, between the erosion of democracy um, and the erosion of reproductive freedom. Um, we can go way, way back to the origins of the extremist anti-abortion, anti-choice movement and its roots in white supremacy um, and segregation. 
uh, the segregation movement um, for school, public school segregation movement has direct ties to the anti-choice movement. And, you, you know, I think for your listeners and for your audience, Mark, you know uh, how deeply interconnected the dark money web, the dark money supporting like anti-democracy movements, as well as white supremacist movements and are supporting groups like, you know, the anti-critical race theory movements, which is a made up thing, but it's powerful now, um, anti-choice movements. But more so. So first of all, I think it's important to just acknowledge the roots of our struggle, the roots of our opposition and to be really clear, clear eyed about it and not be confused about who, who our opposition is. They're the minority. Um, they are hopefully the dying gasp of a generation of folks who don't want to let go of power um, rooted in white supremacy. But what the now the current implications um, in pragmatic terms, like being less philosophical and historical, um, eight out of 10 Americans support a constitutional right to abortion. We are the majority in this country. Just like the majority of Americans support civil rights, just like the majority of Americans support many of the progressive issues we talk about and we care about. And yet we're seeing record numbers, hundred, over a hundred pieces of anti-choice legislation went through the uh, state legislatures last year. Uh, record numbers of uh, SB8, the Texas uh, uh, vigilante abortion bill, um, copycat bills passed right now. Why? Why, if we're the majority, are we seeing so much, so much bad, hostile um, legislation focused on our communities, right? And then coupled with why do we have such an extreme Supreme Court? How is Donald Trump able to be elected? So th this all comes down to voting rights. We need democracy reform. We need better access to the ballot. Um, you can take a look at the states with the worst gerrymandered state legislatures and the states that have eroded access to the ballot, the states with the most problematic access issues, and see a direct correlation to incredibly problematic unpopular legislation, you know, barreling through their legislatures. So we can't win on reproductive freedom or on most issues in this country that we care about if we don't take more seriously the fight for voting rights. So there's a pragmatic answer. And then there's just, you know, a movement need for intersectionality and solidarity because our opponents are the same. And it, they are the same. And also you mentioned what's going on in the States too many yeah. Um, the 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 states rights movement uh, has always galvanized itself against civil rights, voting rights and right. women's reproductive rights. So we still have this problem of of, of states rights. And as you mentioned, what a uh, 100 states. So, folks, we've talked about the 19 states that are violating our voting rights, at least many's just articulated 100 states. Well, actually, there's not 100 states. I meant 100 pieces of legislation. 100, 100, yeah, it was 100 states. I should say 100 restrictions passed last right, year. Right, right, right. But I'll tell you the states. So if the Supreme Court upholds this abortion um, ban in Mississippi, we're, and they heard, had oral arguments in November, and we're expecting a decision in June, 28 states, over half the country, are poised to ban abortion in some shape or form. So that's 28 states. So that means there's about 12 that already have trigger bans like in place. What that means is they have an abortion ban that says the minute row falls, we will ban abortion. Then there's other states that have other pieces of legislation that will take a little longer to work through their system, but they're ready to go. So we're tracking 28 states that are ready and in the process of banning abortion in anticipation of this court decision. More MIP after this message. Well, and frankly, too, some of these states 
have not only done it in anticipation, it seems they've also done it many uh, to promote um, getting something to the court that the court could overturn. I mean, oh, absolutely. Right. Thank you for bringing that up. So I, I want to make sure I'm really clear. You know, Roe v. Wade became law of the land in 1973. Uh, you said almost 50 years, which is a good reminder for me because I, I was born a month after Roe v. Wade, so I'm almost 50. <laughs> uh, so as my parents like to remind me. Um, and ever since Roe became law of the land, we've seen a steady drip of restrictions passed at the state state and local level, everything from parental consent laws, you know, corporate separation laws, um, restrictions on how you can, who can, who can conduct an abortion, like where you can go for an abortion. Do you need to have a mandatory ultrasound? Do you need to have a waiting period? All these abortion restrictions set up to really create barriers for pregnant people to access these services. These have been going on for 50, for 49 years. Let's be clear. So this is the culmination, and to your point, with the intent to bring something to the Supreme Court for the right time. So this has been the culmination of a decades, decades long fight to whittle away at access until they have the chance to overturn this constitutional um, right. So let's talk about that and, and yeah. prospects. So now there is a, a current case, if I'm not mistaken, um, Dobbs versus Jackson Whole Women's Health. It's about the last remaining abortion clinic in the state of Mississippi. Mind you, a state with significant maternal mortality rates. Uh, this would have devastating consequences for black women in Mississippi, all women in Mississippi. But I want to specifically talk about women of color for a second, because Mississippi has some of the worst maternal mortality rates, maternal morbidity rates, child um, health outcomes, infant mortality rates, list goes on. And it's not an accident. There's one clinic left in Mississippi. Um, it conducts abortions to 16 weeks, and this is a 15-week ban. It's very cruel. It's very targeted. So if, if depending, uh, uh, is this the case it, where this could end up being uh, uh, an outright overturn of Roe? I know they've been nipping at it, but is this... Yes. 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 And I want to talk about Texas also because it's important because it's and it's also confusing. Um, this is the case that we are worried and anticipating will, um, if not outright overturn Roe officially, uh, will effectively render Roe meaningless. And it's important that we're clear on that because opposition, the opponents to abortion have already started a messaging campaign that says, well, you know, the clinic in Mississippi, the Mississippi case is a 15 week, it's a 15 week ban. The Mississippi legislature passed a 15 week ban that would target this clinic. Um, but abortion would still be legal to 15 weeks. But the basis in which Roe was decided and the basis for this ban um, contradict each other. I will also say effectively a 15 week ban. Um, and the, if they uphold this law, it will gut Roe and it will allow for many, many, many more states, the 28 states I mentioned, to, to pass even more problematic abortion bans. So Roe will effectively be done. Um, I want to say a set for a second, a lot of folks also are talking about the SBA case in Texas. That's the abortion ban case that has a vigilante um, enforcement mechanism where the public can basically... Uh, report uh, on violations of the ban as the enforcement mechanisms. So this is scary stuff, right? This is like Jim Crow days. Like this is like empowering vigilante citizen action groups to go after 
people having abortions, people seeking care. Um, it's a very dangerous bill. The Supreme Court also heard that case, that litigation, and declined to do anything really about it. They kicked it back to the lower courts. That was a devastating indication of what's to come because that that enforcement ban is really, really, really problematic. Um, even moderate to conservative jurists thought that was an easy win for the Supreme Court just to block that law on the books just based on the enforcement mechanism, putting aside the abortion question, and they didn't. Um, that coupled, Mark, with the uh, oral arguments we heard in November around this case, a Mississippi case, and how problematic the lines of questioning were, give us a pretty clear indication that come June, we are expecting to see the court uphold the ban in Mississippi and gut row and render it meaningless. More MIP after this message. And with the votes we have on the court or we no longer have. I mean, you, you, I mean, many of you are saying this, this is going to happen. We have a 6-3, we have a 6-3 court. And it's not, and I was on a, on the phone, with, uh, I was on a, I was on TV the other day with a, one of our friends, a legal scholar from NAACP, LDF. Right. She said, it's important, and I want to re re reiterate, and I want to give her credit for the point, talking point. She said, uh, it's not just a GOP majority, GOP majority appointed court. It's an extremist court. Three of these judges are Trump appointees who have taken on very extreme positions in the work they've already done in the short period that they've been on the court. Amy Coney Barrett, John Brett Kavanaugh, um, Gorsuch, right? Um, they're taking up the affirmative action case in Harvard. They've been blocking vaccine mandates. I mean, they're taking some really hostile to uh, democracy and, pub and the public good uh, positions. So, uh, it's a bad, it's, it, it's, it's two things. It's a bad indication of what's to come for us, but it's also a cautionary tale of how much devastation can be wrought by a single administration in just four years. That's why democracy is a 24, seven, 365, uh, 24, seven, seven days a week, 365 sport. Like you can't ever let your eye off the ball. Uh, they got in for four years and look at what they've been able to do. And the long-term ramifications of what they've been able to do. So what then, if if Roe is is on the verge of being gutted, as you say, what are our alternatives? What 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 moves what moves we have left? We have um, something called the Women's Health Protection Act. Um, it's a piece of legislation that passed the House of Representatives that codifies Roe v. Wade. Um, the House of Representatives uh, leader, uh, Speaker Pelosi, pushed it through right after the Texas SB8 legislation became law in, in Texas as a response to the abortion ban. Um, it passed without a single Republican vote. It passed only on the backs of Democrats. That's because and without and we have one anti-choice de Democrat left in the House uh, who voted against it. But we had enough numbers in the House to pass it without him anyway. But that just tells you this is no longer a part. This is no longer a bipartisan issue. Not one Republican could support Roe v. Wade in the House. It's now in the Senate. Um, I'm gonna. I'm. I'll be honest with you. After what we just saw with voting rights, uh, it's hard to imagine uh, the Senate passing this. But we still have to have the fight. We still have to make the push. It could theoretically pass the Senate. Um, we have two Senate Republicans 
who are on the record saying that they have grave concerns about Roe falling and they would like they're open to ideas to codify Roe. That's Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. And we have 48 Democratic senators on the bill and two who are, you know, um, one I think you won't be surprised by, Mr. Joe Manchin, uh, has always had an anti-choice record. But um, we also have Senator Bob Casey, who has a mixed record and has always expressed concerns about uh, Roe over Roe falling and does support to some degree constitutional protections. So if we could get over a 50 vote threshold, we could have a meaningful discussion about um, rules reform. But I'll be candid. It's going to be hard. That being said, if the American people, the majority of American people, Mark, eight out of 10 Americans rise up and express their outrage, we have a shot at getting this legislation through. But it underscores the importance of having a larger Senate majority. Um, even if we pass, let's say we pass a Hail Mary and we pass WIPA. If we lose the Senate or we lose the House, they will pass and codify something worse than what the Supreme Court's about to do to gut row. So we, we have to anticipate the worst. So we've got to not only uh, fight and make sure our Democratic senators fight for a chance to codify Roe. We have to hold the Republican extremists in the Senate accountable for their inability to take a stand at, a mo at this moment in history. Does the movement you think get it? I mean, it, it is jarring to hear you put words on this happening and it being gutted. And I think, frankly, some of us still can't quite believe it. I mean, we know it, but it's like, it, it's, it's shocking. So uh, yeah, that's why I'm today, I'm going to be honest with you. We have a believability problem. You know, we've been yeah. we've been talking about for 50 years, Rose falling, Rose falling. And guess what, Mark? Roe is falling. Roe has fallen. Like you and I know that. But the average American doesn't honestly think about this every single day, especially in a moment with the pandemic. You know, there's so many issues right now. The economy. I, I don't blame them for being a little bit like, is it really falling? <laughs> but it's not an accident that folks are confused about this issue. The, the opponents of abortion have spent just last year alone, close to $70 million in targeted Senate races already uh, on the airwaves, putting out misinformation about abortion being dangerous. And they've been doing it for 50 years. Abortion is dangerous. Abortion is safe. Carrying a pregnancy to term is the most dangerous act for a pregnant person, not abortion. Abortion's getting easier. It's getting more simple. It's getting more cost effective. We have medication abortion. We have telemedicine. You can get abortion pills by mail and talk to a doctor on video and have a self-administered abortion. Abortion clinics are getting more sophisticated. Uh, so you asked about the movement. The movement is very clear-eyed about what's happening because they've been on the ground fighting these fights for 50 years, and especially the provider community. The provider community is actively, actively engaged in raising money into abortion funds, setting up networks to help women get from Texas and other states to other places. Uh, we're very, very focused. The American people and the progressive movement may not be dialed in yet. And I think you're probably right that a lot of people are going to be shocked. Um, there's been a lot of polling done on this issue. My hope Mark, the only silver lining out of this is that the court taking this action will wake up the sleeping giant of the American electorate, not just women, but men too, to the violation of their constitutional rights. And it should be a motivating factor to get out the vote in the fall. That's our only shot. We can preserve our constitutional rights if we can continue to win races. It's that simple. We can't rely on the courts anymore.
We got to rely on our elected officials. And hopefully even wake up some of those members of the Senate who may be on the fence. I, I think sometimes, unfortunately, you know, things things happen, have to happen for people to realize it's real. You know, right. uh, like Jan people didn't believe and then January 6th happened. Oh, wow, this is real. Somebody's really trying to have a civil war. Uh, <laughs> so it, right. in, the, in the meantime, um, you all are weighing in on uh, the SCOTUS nomination. Yes. Uh, is, I mean, Breyer is not a net gain, so to speak. No, it won't help us with this. It won't help us with Roe today. Breyer, so I want to start by saying Justice Breyer has been the author of some of the most important abortion rights decisions of the court. He's been a champion for reproductive freedom. His presence will be missed. He was quite an influential, important voice for our movement. What I want to give him credit for, and I don't know if you caught that speech he gave yesterday in the White House, it was quite uh, incredible to have a sitting Supreme Court justice reference. He quoted Abraham Lincoln and talked about civil war. To your point, Mark, he talked about civil war. He called it out. That wasn't an accident. He was trying to say to all of us, hey, I'm doing this now so we can preserve my spot on the court. And, but I need the American people to wake up and fight back as well. So I give him a lot of credit for taking this position, for stepping down when he is, giving President Biden enough time uh, to properly replace him and have a robust um, have a robust process. I also want to say that um, President Biden following through with his commitment uh, on appointing a black woman justice to the court, uh, I understand it won't tip the balance for this case. Um, and it won't tip the balance for a lot of cases in front of the court that are important to our democracy. But now we got to be thinking about the long game, the decades long fight ahead of us, right? The way our opposition did. And appointing a black woman in her 40s or 50s now to the court who could potentially be the, you know, head of the court in a few decades could completely radically reshape the direction of the court having another woman voice in that chamber to talk persuasively about her experience, her lived experience as a black person in America, her lived experience as a woman in America, it's going to have a profound effect on the court. Think about what we lost when we lost Thurgood Marshall. We're going to have some of that back. Um, and also pragmatically, Mark, we need to win. We need to win. We Democrats, we need to see them deliver something for us so we can be motivated. We can't just... Folks aren't motivated to the polls just on negative, That's you right. know, fights. They need something positive. Yeah. So I'm excited about this for a lot of reasons, but no, it won't fix the abortion issue today. I, I would hope, though, sometimes even the nomination process and the hearings and the testimony, if, if you have a black woman, especially some of the ones they're considering, because no Republicans are going to bring this up. They're going to bring up reproductive rights. They're going to make right. that an issue in the hearing. And, yeah. and, and, you know, someone that can speak to that and perhaps even, you know, bring more morale and motivation to our troops, even though that person may not have a vote in this case, could still help. You're right. In the long game, in the long run. The other thing I'm going to say, though, that, you, that, just, that I didn't say about this is we should fully expect whoever she is um, to take an incredible amount uh, of attack. Uh, as a black woman. So we need to collectively be ready as a movement, as all of our movements across movements to be loud and upfront and, uh, you know, bold in our defense of this uh, nominee. So we're, we're getting ready and we're thinking at NARAL about what resources we can be, be putting behind black women led efforts to uh, really be out in the public space 
uh, defending and advocating uh, and speaking out for this nominee. That's important. Folks, I uh, just want to share this with you as, as we close. Um, um, Nayral tweeted this just the other day. Today, we're changing our endorsement criteria to reflect our commitment to the freedom to vote going forward. We won't endorse any U.S. senator who doesn't support changing the Senate rules to pass voting rights legislation. Our democracy is on the line. That's what I mean by saying uh, NARAL gets it. Um, they are going to weigh in on this Supreme Court fight, as they, as, as many just said, they're going to be talking about and throwing support behind black women led groups for all of our listeners. Let them know, if you would, please, uh, many, how they can get involved with NARAL, get involved in the fight, contribute all of that. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, I will say first, um, there's a lot of great black women led reproductive justice orgs in the fight. Um, and we should um, and I'll, we can we can follow up with your uh, with your team up for a list to post um, some of them. Sister Song in our own voice. Um, I've really been leading the charge and really connecting the dots for groups like NARAL on voting rights and democracy reform. So I want to say, you know, we are learning uh, and listening to our leaders in the space. Uh, we can all do better, all of the women's organizations, and we must. Um, but if you want to be more involved with NARAL, you can find us at ProChoiceAmerica.org or NARAL.org. It's N-A-R-A-L.org. Uh, we've got a bunch of campaigns going on, uh, support for WIPA, uh, get involved in the fight for the new Supreme Court uh, justice, uh, get involved in your local state uh, issues. We're tracking bills in those 28 states I was talking about. We'd love to have your participation in the movement. We'd love to get you connected to other uh, volunteers and advocates in your state. We've got members in all 50 states. So uh, we're, we're, we've got about 2.5 million Americans uh, who support NARAL and excited to have you join us. Thanks, Mark, for that opportunity to pitch. No, wonderful, folks. Very important. We don't just do talk radio. This is do radio. So, of course, <laughs> we, want, we want to get involved. Please, folks, we've got to get involved, especially those of you in, in our audience. We know you want to get involved and we know that you will. Many Timurajou, brand new president uh, at NARAL Pro-Choice America, ProChoiceAmerica.org, NARAL.org. Many, thank you so much, okay? Thank you so much. It's just a joy to be with you today. I really appreciate everything you do. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.